people in in a in a state of of stress or 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 grief or um, or sadness will um, sometimes get very very afraid. That's very typical. People are afraid of the future when they enter into a divorce. They may be worried about their finances or losing um, losing the strength of the relationship with their children, and the fear often results in in a, in lashing out, in in anger. And what happens then is the other the, the other person experiences that anger as an attack, causes fear in them, causing an attack back, and people get stuck in, in this cycle of attack and defensiveness and fear. Hi, I'm Rachel Green, Brooklyn-based divorce mediator and collaborative attorney, and this is my podcast, Keep the Kids in Mind. Join me as I chat with other industry professionals about everything from smoothly navigating your way through divorce to prenups, all the while keeping the kids in mind. Hi, thanks for joining us at our podcast, Keep the Kids in Mind. I'm Rachel Green, and my guest today is Michael Henry, who is my associate at, at Resolutions Mediation and Collaborative Services. Good morning, Michael. Hi, good morning, Rachel. We are mediators who help families in tradition, um, sorry, in transition, with um, who are trying to have an amicable separation and restructuring of their family. We practice as mediators and also as collaborative lawyers. Um, Michael, um, do you want to share what what led you to become a mediator and what you see as some of the benefits of the process? Sure. Um, I love doing mediation because I find that it is really the best way for a family to work through the logistical issues that they need to resolve when they are separating or divorcing, issues around finances, around parenting, scheduling, around finances, around uh, the, the kids, um, in a way that doesn't inflame the situation, in a way that helps everyone in the family look at this as a mutual problem to be solved, not as a battle or a war. Um, so I, how can you, how can you have people not look at it as war? If, you know, when there's a breakdown of a long-term romantic relationship, there are always very intense feelings on both sides. And, and how do you shift that to not be a war? Well, part of it is just rebalancing re expectations. Um, in our culture, I think people have come to associate divorce and separation as a battle uh, through popular culture, through, through movies and television shows and novels and through your best friend's uh, dentist who has a horror story about their divorce. And so people often come into, when they're realizing that their marriage is probably at an end, either one or both people in a couple mutually, um, dreading the, the experience of the actual logistics of the divorce and separation. And 
part of what we do as mediators is help people see that some of the emotional upheaval and turmoil that they are experiencing as part of their romantic and, and familiar relationship dissolving or re reorganizing that that doesn't need to spill over into the um the practical decisions they need to make so that everyone in the family can be in the best possible situation going forward to fulfill their own needs their future plans to respect their own values and priorities and we can do that by acknowledging the feelings that are happening the the emotional life that's going on while also looking at the issues as something that both people need to work towards to solve but they're not necessarily in opposition so what i'm hearing you say is that in a certain way you're separating the people from the problem in other words yeah i mean like if they um are separating and they're going to have two homes and they have children what is the schedule for the children to see their two parents um and not you know and that's like that's like a concrete problem that they want to work through um as opposed to saying i'm so angry at you i'm so hurt i i can't stop you know thinking about that hurt and that anger it and if we can get them to focus on a concrete issue it can help ease the feelings but we I agree with you 100% that we have to acknowledge those feelings. I mean, I often say to people, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have strong feelings about this. Of course you're you of course you're hurt and you're angry and you're mourning the loss of the future that you thought you were, you know, you thought you were going in this direction and you suddenly just made a sharp turn. And maybe you didn't initiate it. So of course you're going to have strong feelings about that. But you know what what what's your vision what what are your work schedules like what's your vision for the schedule for the children one of the reasons that i named this podcast keep your kids in mind is because i think the children can provide a guidepost for parents who are going through a separation or a divorce um and to try to focus on the issues try to remember how this is impacting your kids. I have many, I've had many clients and I'm sure you have as well, who are children of divorce. And they now are going through a divorce themselves and they want to do it better than their parents did. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. I, I hear, I think that's a big motivator for a lot of people to sort to seek out a mediator when their marriage is ending rather than um, reenact a terrible divisive battle and, and war. It, you know, in terms of the emotional experience of the divorce, it, it, one of the things mediation does offer for some couples who who want to use their some of their time this way is it sometimes offers a forum to maybe for the first time in a safe, non-judgmental, non-inflammatory setting, um, express out loud their feelings of hurt or disappointment 
or grief or betrayal at the end of the marriage. And I don't shut those conversations down. Um, mm. I'm not, you know, I make very clear to people, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a therapist. We're not here to do couples counseling, but often it is really transformative for, for someone to feel that they've really been heard about what their internal experience has been around the, the end of the marriage. And then we also start talking about what do your budgets look like? How much do you need, you know, if you're going to be separating houses, what is, how much are you going to need for rent or to, to make a mortgage payment? Where is that money going to come from? Um, you know, uh, how are we going to decide if the kids are going to summer camp this summer? Um, and so both things can be happening at once. What so I, find... I, I, yeah, I, one time um, I, I had a collaborative case and I guess we can talk about like the collaborative process and the mediation process and the differences between them. But um, I had a collaborative case and my collaborative counterpart was a litigation attorney. And he said to me, I really can't stand it when they start whining about how they're feeling and how hurt they are. And, um, you know, he, he, he picked up his desk phone and he said, I go, uh-huh. And then I put the phone down and I turn to my computer. I'm reading documents. I'm doing other things. And then I pick up the phone and go, uh-huh. And then put the phone down again. I mean, he had clients. He was, I assume, billing for the time that they were on the phone telling him how they felt, but he was not listening to anything they said. I found that horrifying. <laughs> In yeah. mediation, we want to listen and we want to understand as best as we can. Um, and I think what part of, absolutely. I, I think one of the actual engines of mediation, what makes it work, and in, in, especially in the type of uh, approach I use to mediation, is people want to be heard and understood. And giving a safe space for people really to be understood can often start transforming things. My, I believe that when there isn't that um, opportunity to honor the, the emotional life that's going on, that is partly what drives litigation battles because the example you're giving of that attorney, I don't think is uncommon. And that energy, that hurt gets channeled into the litigation process. So people then express their anger or their hurt by filing a motion mm. for tens of thousands of dollars in months and months of agony. Or um, people start expressing their sense of betrayal by making unreasonable demands. Mm -hmm. There's something that's called a conflict trap. And that is when people in, in, a, in a state of, of stress or, or, or grief or, um, or sadness will um, sometimes get very, very afraid. That's very typical. People are afraid of the future when they enter into a divorce. They may be worried about their finances or losing, um, losing the strength of the relationship with their children. And the fear often results in, in, a, in lashing out, in, in anger. And what happens then is the other, the, the other person experiences that anger as an attack, causes fear in them, causing an attack back. 
and people get stuck in, in the cycle of attack and defensiveness and fear. And that is, I think, an engine that drives litigation. And I work, um, I work with couples sometimes who have started a litigation process and, are, and they're coming to me after they've been in litigation for a while. And it takes a lot of work just to sort of help them hear each other as to what their actual concerns and needs and and um, and legit black practical uh, concerns are underneath all the fighting and all the conflict because they have become trained by the litigation process to be fearful and defensive and counterattack. That's the nature of litigation. And so in mediation, partly what I help to do is to point out this trap that they're stuck in and then say, okay, what's underneath that? And often, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the conflict trap, as I'm understanding, I, I'm not familiar with that term, so I'm learning something today too. Um, the conflict trap is is based on somebody somebody feeling attacked and then feeling like they have to defend themselves and attack back. And it starts with someone feeling anger and anger is what we call a secondary emotion. There's usually something underneath that makes you feel angry. Your needs are not being met. You're hurt. You're scared. You know, there's some other underlying thing. And then the anger is a defense. Um, and then I remember reading um, a psychologist who said, a sociologist, I think, an article by him, um, where he said that we all remember vividly what's done to us, but we don't remember as vividly what we did to other people. In other words, we all, we, we can all feel hurt and attacked. And then we can remember in vivid detail what somebody said to us that hurt our feelings, but we don't, we might toss off some sentence that hurts someone else but we don't think that we have as strong an impact on other people as they have on us. It's like there's something in our human nature. Well, um, one of my favorite phrases a lot that way is, um, we judge ourselves by our, our intentions, we judge others by their impact on us. Right, right. That's and that leads to a lot of misunderstanding and conflict as mm -hmm. well, because um, I may be, saying or proposing something in good faith and i think it's going to work out well someone else the person i'm talking to my spouse might hear that as a real um a fearful proposition maybe oh you know there's maybe i'm proposing something about a, a schedule for the kids because i think it'll work well with our work schedules but the other person hears it as i'm taking the kids away from you mm. and and then um then they accuse the other person of, of doing it, you know, out of viciousness or being selfish or, or being unrealistic. And the name calling starts. And part of what we do as mediators is try to clear away that underbrush of all the, the attacks and counterattacks and name calling and, and, and see what the real issue is. And oh, oh, I didn't realize your work schedule had changed from Monday to Tuesday. And because, because the communication is broken down so much and there's so much uh, of fear and animosity, that practical piece of information didn't get exchanged. 
Yeah. Not every couple is at this level of conflict. I right. work with plenty of couples who were from day one, we're looking at spreadsheets and calendars. And, and I had a couple just the other day that had that experience. I mean, um, the father had been planning that he wanted to pick up the child on Monday and Wednesday, and he never told the mother about it. And, you know, school was starting the next day, and they they didn't have their weekly pickup schedule because the communication has broken down to that level. So, I mean, it was good that we were sitting in mediation and we could work on it, the child's pickup schedule. And this is something I see when I work on the cases that have come to me from the courts where people are already in litigation. I see this all the time. Basic communication is broken down because the lawyers tell their clients, don't talk to your spouse because, you know, you might say something, maybe they're recording you and, and, and it's going to come back in an affidavit and, and you'll lose the kids or, you know, it'll look terrible to the judge. So people who have lived together for 10, 15, 20 years who are raising children together are no longer speaking to each other about the day-to-day -day things they need to do. Now, and, and it, it just spirals out of control. And, and then people start talking to each other through through litigation, through through motion practice. It's Now, you know, obviously part of what we do in mediation is help couples decide and figure out what is good what is a good communication protocol for them. Because some couples have found that, wow, when they speak to each other, it turns into a fight and, and they don't want the kids to see that is a good instinct. You don't want to be having a lot of conflict in front of the kids. Um, and so we'll talk, you know, what's the best way for you to communicate about the things you do? Is, is texting good or do you prefer emails or do you want to schedule a 15-minute check-in about the kids every Wednesday after evening, you know, and or, or, oh, no, we talk fine about the kids. It's just when we start talking about money that gets uh, out of hand. And we'll say, okay, so when if you talk as much as you want about the kid, the more you can resolve on your own, the better. If you start talking about money and it starts getting hot, stop. Bring that to me as a mediator, and we'll we'll discuss it in a safe place. So, um, Michael, do you care to share some of your background and some of what has brought you to this work? Which is what you asked me at the very beginning, and we went sideways. So, um, sure. I uh, I. I was a fancy lawyer. I went to Yale Law School. I worked at big law firms and clerked for federal judges and uh, worked at some other fancy law firms and then worked for the city of New York drafting legislation and, and all that. And I came to the realization that law, the legal system, the court system has its uses, but it's not really usually how people see their lives or how they make decisions or how they resolve conflict at heart. Um, and it certainly wasn't appealing to me anymore. I found it a very artificial sort of way to, to look at the world. Um, so I actually took a little detour. I, uh, I, I developed a, a business of involving young children, a, uh, a uh, early child enrichment program. And I also went back to her first love and uh, started training seriously as an actor and had a career as, a, as an actor. When I came back um, by meeting Rachel, actually, I uh, took some wonderful training with a wonderful man named Jack Himmelstein and Gary Friedman, two men, uh, who have a wonderful approach to mediation. And I found uh, my home because I found that this was a place where, as we were talking earlier, 
the whole person is welcome. We're not talking about looking at the world as an artificial set of legal problems. Um, and what I found is that mediation is a place where people's emotions are welcome, their, their brains are welcome, and that includes me as a mediator as, as well as the couple. And I found actually very interestingly when I started taking mediation training, I was very a little worried and embarrassed because I had been an actor and hadn't had a suit and tie on in a while. And um, there were uh, lots of attorneys there and, and uh, you know, therapists and CPAs. And I quickly learned that my training as an actor actually really helped me as a mediator, that the lawyers and the therapists had to unlearn a lot of their training and that my training as an actor helped me with presence and with empathy and with really being able to fully embrace the reality of each person in the room. And part of what mediation, how, how the magic works is that I am modeling for two people who think they're in a terrible battle or maybe even if they don't think they're in a terrible battle, think they really have a, they have a big conflict, that I can fully embrace and empathize and embody their point of view in the world, and I can fully embrace and empathize and embody the other person in the room's point of view, and they can both exist, and then we can find a way through. So um, so working as an actor, just because you have had the experience of inhabiting different characters, has like expanded your ability to empathize and understand, empathize with and understand different perspectives of, of clients. Yes, that's that's primarily. And also a lot of acting work is just being comfortable with being in, in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the skill of a mediator, and I, why I think a lot of lawyers have a little difficulty transitioning into it, is um, not feeling like I have to know what's happening next or fix the problem right away. Mediation works best when the solutions are coming out of the mouths of the couple because they know their lives and their children's lives and their personalities so much better than I ever will. Certainly better than a judge who's going to spend 10 minutes with them ever will. Oh, yeah. People have fantasies that the judge is going to be the father that they never had. And, you know, he's going to be a wise man who will look at them and say, oh, you poor thing that you had to put up with that other person. Um, and that is not how court works, at, at least my understanding. I mean, the judges are all overworked they have too many cases they do not want to hear from the the spouses they want to they only want to talk to the lawyers they just want to get the case off their docket that's my T talking about the attorney who goes yeah yeah, yeah. right you no know, times a hundred for a judge because they just don't have the time yeah because they have a thousand cases yeah so right um so with the um the ability to 
to really, um, I lost my train of thought now. What I'm you? sorry. No, no. They're, they're, well, they're, they're, um, I mean, you were saying the solutions come from the couple and it's yes. better if they come from the couple because only the couple knows their history and their values and it's their children, if they have children, who are, you know, decisions need to be made about and the parents are, are in the best position to make those decisions rather than a stranger wearing black robes. And, you know, well, and, and yeah. both, both you and I have been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's not like I will never make a suggestion or say, hey, here's something that's worked for another couple. Would you like to consider that? But I right. no, absolutely. Because people want the benefit of our years of experience. And part of that is to just discuss different options and different things that we've seen people do. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm always blown away by how often in mediation I will be just we'll have a session. We'll be discussing something. We don't really come to a solution. It seems a little bit, a little bit naughty. Session ends. Couple comes back a couple of weeks later. Oh yeah, yeah. This, you know, we figured out this, this, this. That you know, just check that off the list. Um, because often, again, just giving them, giving a couple an experience of having productive, non-high conflict conversations, or even conflictual conversations that are still productive helps them see that they can, that there are solutions here that they can work through. And often people go, you know, I think, I think you've, you've taught me this um, phrase, Rachel, often, often the uh, most uh, productive part of mediation happens in between the sessions. Right. I, I find that as well. I have a couple I'm meeting with later this morning who are in that category. Like the first session that we had, was so much conflict that I thought, oh my God, they're going to litigate. And also they have money. I I feel like divorce is one area where having the money is a disadvantage because if they have two to $300,000 to throw at it, the lawyers are very interested in help in helping them, you know, in taking their case. Um, but anyway, for this couple, it was really a process of them airing all these thoughts and feelings that they each had and then um, they came back in for their second session and issues that just seemed intractable and huge and overwhelming, um, they had, they resolved. I mean, they just, they just had thought about it. They had, had a few emails and, uh, and they said, oh no, we decided X, Y, and Z. Let's talk about now this other thing. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is just it, you know, talking about coming from the law. I mean, the law of course is useful and important for society in many ways, in many spheres. Um, but I'm I'm often surprised at how many times people want to discuss things that would never be discussed in court. Something that's very important to one or both of them um, that they want to put in their mediation agreement that is not in the scope of the law because the law is is one little sliver of society, but there's a whole world that we're all living in. I, I had one couple once that um, they were in a lot of conflict, seemingly about money. What it turned out to be was that one of them was very devastated by how quickly the marriage had ended and was basically didn't know how to explain that to her circle, her family and circle of friends. And so the what happened in mediation is that the spouse agreed, and we set out the parameters, to write a, uh, a letter or, you know, or an email or a Facebook post 
explaining why the marriage had ended, taking responsibility that it was his choice, and and, mm -hmm. and um, sort of relieving, in this case, the the, the wife from um, from this huge cloud hanging over her head. And that was really her main issue with the divorce. And once that had been resolved, the money stuff just evaporated. Wow, isn't that something? Um, and again, I do want to let you know people who are listening or watching know that you know, yes, people come to us because they are looking for a legally enforceable separation agreement where we lay out what's going to happen with their bank accounts and retirement accounts and the kids' schedule and who's paying for college. And yeah, we get there. And sometimes that's all we talk about. Um, but often I find that the couples who are most hot, who are most in conflict, once I help the communication, once we clear away the underbrush, often they're not in much disagreement about the substance. Mm -hmm. It's just they've gotten into a place where they, they can't hear each other or speak to each other. And we talked about the conflict trap. That really starts with fear because most people, well, many people, when they're approaching the end of a marriage, have a lot of anxiety and fear about what's going to happen next in their lives. Are they going to sure. be able to afford to pay rent? Are they going to lose right. a close connection to their children? Um, and that fear then drives a lot. So right, because there's so much unknown. And it is scary. It's a huge transition. It's, yeah. it's one of the major, you know, stressors in life. It's it's a huge grief experience for most people. Um, and then there are practical things that have to be resolved. And I think the mediation is a way that, you know, another friend of mine, a mediator friend says, you know, I, I don't look as media, I don't look as divorce primarily as a legal problem. Um, you know, with some other aspects. I look at it as a reorganization of a family with lots of um, social and emotional and psychological aspects. And there's a legal aspect to it, but it's not. We have, our culture has decided that divorce looks like, you know, Mr. Jones versus Mrs. Jones or Mr. versus Mr. or Mrs. versus Mrs. You know, it, it, it's captioned as a battle from the beginning. And right. The it. And right. that's not really how yeah. There are some states where they would just say, in regarding the marriage of Jones and Jones, but New York is not one of those states. We still have it framed as a battle. Um, so I'm just thinking we might want to talk just for a couple of minutes about the collaborative process and just explain the difference between those two processes, and then uh, and then we'll wind it down for the day. Um, so yeah so so collaborative the collaborative process is one where each person uh, each person in the couple does retain their own lawyer who is representing them which is a big distinction we didn't talk about this one of the fundamental aspects of, of mediation is that the mediator is a neutral uh, a neutral person who is trying to stay equally connected and open and understanding and representing the needs of each person equally. And also the other thing about mediation is that it's a completely voluntary process. Nothing gets decided agreed to until unless and both people sign off. So there's no imposition of a of the solution 
unless both people can live with it. A collaborative is a little different in that each person has their own attorney, but the attorneys are specially trained to be approaching the resolution of the divorce through a mediative framework, through a, through a mindset of we're not in a battle, we're trying to help this couple work through their, their priorities and needs and come up with the best solution. And in order to structure that, in addition to the training and the commitment, um, the participants in collaborative mediation agree that if this process breaks down and they start litigating, they have to find new lawyers. So that gives the lawyers an incentive, a financial incentive to not push things towards litigation. And it gives the couple because uh, that incentive because it's very disruptive and expensive to hire new lawyers in the middle of a case and get them up to speed and, and all that. Um, you have a lot of experience with collaborative. Um, what is your what is your sense of, of the flavor of it and how it, how it differs? I guess well, um, collaborative more typically pulls in other other experts as well. Even though we do have the ability to do that in mediation, so um, we might have a family specialist who will help guide parents to um, come up with parenting plans that will work best for their children. Um, we might have a neutral financial specialist to pull together information when the finances are very complicated. Um, I, th I think collaborative works well when somebody needs more, a little bit more handholding and support. Maybe one person is, com you know, is completely unfamiliar with the finances because they haven't um, been taking care of finances during the marriage and the partnership. Um, and so they want to have an attorney, somebody experienced sitting at the table with them, um, holding their hand and saying, yes, this makes sense. Um, yes, this, we have all the information that we need on which to base our decisions. Um, I, I think this is a good settlement. You can go forward or, you know, it's not a good settlement. Let me talk to the other attorney and see if we can come up with common ground. Um, so that's kind of where, um, I see the collaborative process as a benefit. I mean, the other thing is that the collaborative, there are many things in litigation that happen that cost a lot of money, but that are not directly helping to resolve um, the issues facing the family. Um, and, you know, just procedural things. And um, I, I never litigated, but you probably know more than I do about that, Michael. Um, but, you know, just inefficiencies that are built into the system. So collaborative is a way to have an attorney negotiating for you, but, um, but, not pay for discussions that are not about solving your um, your problems, your issues, your questions that you have that have to be resolved in order for you to have a full settlement. Does and that make sense? I should mention that in the mediation process as well, if um, if the couple each wishes to have what we call a consulting attorney, I call a mediation-friendly consulting attorney, that is, that's an option, and it's often a, a very good option. It's, it's a very beneficial option. Uh, and this is just someone to do sort of what you were talking about, Rachel. Hey, 
we've been we've been discussing, you know, we've been in mediation a couple of sessions. We're coming to, you know, this kind of proposal. What do you think? Am I, you know, am I overlooking something? Um, am I uh, am I making a huge mistake here? You know, how does this look? Or I really don't feel um, sufficiently informed about, you know, something financial. You know, how does this look? Now. Um, I like to say if I'm doing my job well as a mediator, when people go to their consulting attorneys, there won't be a whole lot of surprises or new information. But it often helps people um, just set their mind at ease um, that because we come from a culture where there's so much story about, oh my goodness, you know, my sister-in-law's, uh, you know, best friend got so screwed over in, in, in divorce or, you know, my uh, my soccer coach told me how he never sees his kids anymore because there was a horrible lawyer on the other side or something. And so people have this, even if the mediation is going very well, in the back of their minds is often this concern. And having just one or two phone conversations or meetings with an outside attorney can sometimes help ease that, ease that worry. Yeah. Um, so so that, basically, we want to try to support people to get whatever resources they need in order to feel confident about reaching an agreement. And in that, that may be um, having a consulting attorney who they consult with during the mediation process or, um, or maybe nearing the end of the mediation process after we have an agreement drafted, um, they may choose to meet with a consulting attorney to review the agreement so that they won't two years later learn, you know, oh, I was entitled to x y and z and i didn't know it that's you know that's like our nightmare we we don't want that to happen we want to make sure that people are making and that's that uh, you know i consider that part of my job making sure yes. people know that oh hey you know do you know that in new york state a pension is considered a marital asset if it was accumulated during the marriage mm -hmm. okay you guys are both um you know agreeing that you're not going to ask for each other's pension that's absolutely fine right um that's a great solution if it works for you i just want you not to find out next year that you could have asked right i mean i had that happen to a couple who um separated and they just put together their own agreement they didn't sign it with the correct formalities so it wasn't enforceable in new york and then they came to me three years later and in in the agreement the wife had waived her right to the husband's um pension I mean, he had a 401k that was worth $500,000 and neither of them knew that the 401k would be considered marital property. Um, so it was a very painful mediation because they had, you know, kind of done their own separation agreement, lived apart, relying on it. Um, and yet it changed the wife's mind when she learned that this was marital property that would usually be split. Um, I mean, we had a lot of, you know, a lot that we had to work through to come up with a solution that, that they both felt was fair. And, you know, she ended up taking less than 50%, but he gave her a significant portion of, of, you know, the asset as well. So they both weren't satisfied with that. Part of our job as mediators is to make sure as best we can, that any decisions being made are sort of, fully informed yeah. that, that people are making decisions um, based on complete transparency about each other's finances yeah. and also what the basics of the law would be in court. 
and then letting them know they don't have to do the same thing that would happen happen in court. In addition to sometimes meeting with an outside consulting attorney or a review attorney at the end, sometimes people will meet with a financial consultant um, to help them understand their future retirement needs better or um, if someone really is feels uncomfortable with budgeting, has never been really involved in the family finances, maybe a little time with a financial expert um, to really help them feel like they, they're making solidly based decisions. Um, I wouldn't say that most of our clients in mediation end up using outside professionals, mm -hmm. but they're always there. Right, as a resource. So Michael, I feel like I could just sit and talk to you about mediation for another hour, but I think we need to wrap it up. Um, I thank you very much for your time today. It's been a lot of fun. I always listen to podcasts when I run around, do a lap around the park, and this is just about the time I'd be finishing. So. Okay, great. Um, you can meet, you can find Michael and me both at mediate2resolution.com. That's the number two, mediate2resolution.com, or you can call us at 718-965-9236. I think you can find our contact information in the show notes. And I thank you all and uh, look forward to speaking with you again at the next episode of Keep the Kids in Mind. Thank you.